0: guys thanks for tuning in you're listening to home in my house coat and I'm your host Caroline Zatina and uh, my plastics guy is back dr. Grace is here to. we're gonna discuss implants we're gonna discuss the history of implants um, it's a very fun topic I think for anyone you know um, and so yeah let's get into it thanks for coming back dr. Grace thanks for having me it's a pleasure to have you this is, and- this
1: is, this, this is a fun topic it's a serious topic as well, but it's a fun topic and I look forward to talking to you about it.
0: Yeah, I um I agree. I think so what is the history? When did implants start?
1: So in our country, implants started around nineteen sixty two. There was a plastic surgeon in Texas put the first implants in. Um we really looked for something that was gonna be stable and work for the long the long haul. In Southeast Asia and Indonesian countries, people were injecting all kind of things into the breast that was really causing problems. It looked like silicone was a good product, but people were actually injecting silicone off the shelf right into the breast. Hmm. So these guys in Texas put it into an implant. They put a coating around it and started putting the implants in. Literally, that went on through 1990. Now... There were problems with the early implants, they would rupture, they would leak, implants would get hard. So over that period of time, the companies were always making changes in the implants. Sometimes the capsule would be thicker, sometimes the capsule would be thinner, maybe with the shape, maybe with what it was made of, but through the years, all kinds of things were done. And finally, in about 1990, people started asking questions about implants. And in 1991, the FDA actually took them off of the market. They took them off of the market, not because there were problems with them, but because over the years, trying to change the shape, trying to change how it was made, what it was made of, we didn't have real good data showing they were safe and effective. So the FDA said to the companies, you guys got to give us data. While we're waiting for the data, we're taking them off the market. In our lifetime, there are very few things the FDA has taken off of the market and put back on the market. So finally, in around 2007, 2008, a lot of really good epidemiological studies started to be published that really did so show that these things were relatively safe and, more importantly, weren't doing a lot of harm. So the FDA put them back on the market in about seven or 2008. And since that time, they become more and more popular. Now, when they were off of the market, we still had saltwater implants. Saltwater implants actually are still an option today. But the saltwater implants heyday was really in that period from about 93 to about 2008, where that was all we could use. Hey. You and I were talking before about um, breast cancer patients We'll have another talk about you know breast reconstruction, but when they were off the market, we could still use silicone in the breast cancer patients, but in the breast augmentation patients, we had to use the saltwater implant. And I know later on you talk about different kind of implants. Mm-hmm. We'll contrast the silicone and the saltwater a little bit then. But there's a great history. There's a lot of data. The data is pretty clear. Implants are safe and effective. I always tell my patients, God didn't make them, there are going to be issues with them, but by and large they do a really good job and people are pretty happy with them.
0: So about how many patients a year are you seeing to get implants?
1: Um, I still have a very large breast cancer patient population as well as a um, breast augmentation patients. Um, I'm probably putting in 80 implants a year.
0: Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, so so they so I've seen them. I've seen them at your office and then one time I was having another procedure done um and somewhere else and they gave me an implant to squeeze for like uh, a stress ball. It was actually very nice. Yes. I see what the fuss is about, why the fellas it, like it.
1: It was nice. It, it was comforting. It it's yeah. all it's always fun in the office when I, I see patient in consultation, the husband, the boyfriend, the significant others there and I get two implants. I give the husband one, and I give the patient one. It's hard to get it back from the husband. <laughs> I can they, imagine they, they keep playing with
0: it. What does this say about me? Because I was having a ball playing with it too. Um, but yeah, so so. But the thing is, is like it seems heavy. It seems you know the different ones you get. Like some seem you know like average size, but some of them I'm like, wow, that that's a lot to carry around. So what are the the weights surfaces shapes? all this stuff what's what, what how do you know what to who wants what what they get
1: so the bigger the implant obviously the more it weighs mm-hmm. and whether it's a silicone implant or a saltwater implant the weight varies very little and it also varies varies very little than from what, from us if you think about us as human beings in tissue tissue is almost 75% water so the implant if it's saline's water mm-hmm. the weight's going to be approximately the same mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about implants for a minute. So the, the first thing, implants come as silicone implants or they come as saline implants. And and this was one of the funny things that I said before about the FDA not letting um, breast augmentation patients during that period of time have um, silicone implants. A saltwater implant is still made out of silicone.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: The difference is in a silicone implant the inner side is gel, and in a saltwater implant, the inner, the, the inside of it is typical IV fluid. Really? So it's still silicone on the outside. So it never made sense to us, if you had a problem with silicone, why you wouldn't have a problem with the saltwater implant as well. Mm-hmm. But that's a different topic for another day. That just didn't make any sense. So um, in my patient population, my breast augmentation patients, uh, I. I wanna say 90% are picking silicone. In my breast cancer population, it's probably closer to 75 to 80%. The overwhelming majority today are doing silicone. Now, when they came back on the market, it was probably running 50-50, but today, 10 years later, 15 years later, almost everybody wants silicone. Mm -hmm. It feels a little better. It probably looks a little bit better. But I tell people there are really three differences. The first difference is saltwater implants have a little bit more wrinkling. So if you're getting a breast augmentation and you were really small, that little bit of wrinkling might be noticeable and a silicone implant might be a little bit better for you. The, the um, I, I really think that's the only difference. Now, the other important things are rupture. They can rupture, but the, the, the rupture rates are about 1% a year. So there really is no significant difference if a silicone implant ruptures or a saltwater implant ruptures. The difference is though, if a saltwater implant ruptures in you, you have a flat tire. <laughs> so three, three times a year, I have so many implants in, about three times a year, I get a phone call on the weekend, somebody's home for the day, they're getting a shower, they're going out that night, one breast at the same size and one side is flat. Mm -hmm. It's because it got a little leak, it leaked out, the body absorbed it, Mm -hmm. and now you're flat. Mm -hmm. If a silicone implant ruptures, there's no change in the volume because that silicone stays right there. So how would someone know if it's ruptured? They wouldn't know it's ruptured. Is that bad? So it's bad if there's any data that a ruptured silicone implant does anything bad to you. Mm-hmm. And there's no data on that. Because for the most part, that silicone stays inside the natural scar tissue the body forms around you. Oh, okay. Now, I gotta say though, that because they can rupture, and they can both rupture about 1% a year, the FDA makes us tell our breast augmentation patients that on at three years, they need a screening MRI. Oh, okay. A screening MRI you're paying for,
0: yeah.
1: and that's $1,200. Wow, wow. And then they want you to get one every other year. I tell my patients, if it feels different to you, if I think it feels different, your significant other thinks it feels different, then we can do a diagnostic MRI mm-hmm. that you're not paying for. Mm-hmm. So I am not a big proponent of automatically getting, mammogram- getting MRIs on people that are asymptomatic. Yeah, um, yeah it's quite an investment. It is an investment. And, and, and those costs add up, especially, in, and nobody's paying for them but you. Yeah. So I, I just don't think that's a good um, utilization of your resources. Yeah. So the rupture is the same, but picking up is a little bit different, and the wrinkling is a little bit different um, in, in the saltwater implants.
0: So you feel both are Pretty much equally safe in your eyes. Yes. Okay.
1: If if you are a B cup breast, and I'm putting it under the muscle, which is where I usually put it, I don't think you. I can tell the difference between a saltwater implant or a silicone implant. If my breast cancer people that have nothing there except my implant, I think most of the time the silicone does feel a little bit better.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the other one sounds kind of like a waterbed. The salt water. It does. Um, now, so if you get, if you don't have the ruptures, they'll, they'll last forever or?
1: So, so I tell patients the mistake plastic surgeons made years ago was telling a 28 year old, this is going to last you a lifetime. I don't tell people that anymore. The data is pretty clear at 10 years. It's a 10 to 15% chance of rupture. So that, now that sounds high but that still means 85 to 90% are still working well at 10 years. Mm -hmm. I see patients, I just said, I see three or four people a year, my old patients with ruptured implants. I've been putting these in for 30 years. So I'm gonna see people every year with a ruptured implant. I have them 20 years, 25 years. I've had one or two only last a year, but that's the great minority. But, But these things are safe. They're just, you can't tell people they're going to last, you for, last forever. Mm-hmm. But I, I had people 30 years, and the implant's still intact, working well.
0: That's good. That's awesome. Okay, so who is the typical augmentation patient?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good question. So, and, and, and I think it's a little bit different in Baltimore versus other places. Mm-hmm. The typical breast augmentation patient is somebody 28 to 33, 34 years of age. They've, they've had kids, they may have nursed, they like the size of their breasts when they were nursing, and now that they're done nursing, they're done having kids, they're a little bit older, they want to get their breasts looking like it was when they were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And that's the typical patient. It, the, the typical patient is not the 20-year-old who just wants big boobs, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's, it's that typical patient after childbearing they're done having kids, their breasts are smaller than they were, their breasts hang down a little bit, we use the word ptosis, and they just want to have a rejuvenated breast. Mm -hmm. Cool,
0: that's awesome. Um, Okay, so recovery. So what would you expect, like if you were to get them, what is the recovery? When can you pick up kids again?
1: Yeah, that's another good question. So the average breast augmentation is back to work in a week. Wow. Okay? now. There's a bunch of ways to put an implant in. I usually make my incision in the crease of the breast, and I usually put it under the muscle. Now, I put it under the muscle for a bunch of reasons. Under the muscle, especially on the top of it, there's a little bit more tissue covering it, so it's less likely to have wrinkles. Under the muscle makes it easier for the mammogram people doing their mammograms. And one of the complications, implants get hard. It, it's a little bit, the, the data at five and 10 years show, it stays softer longer if you put it under the muscle. But putting it under the muscle hurts a little bit more. Mm. So generally at a week, people are back to work. I make them wear a bra for six weeks, as much as they can. I think that nice gentle compression helps with the swelling, helps the shape, minimizes infection because the swelling goes away quicker. And, and you really, by a week, you're doing well. If you're a big exercise person, I let you start to exercise between two and three weeks. It's general stuff at first, no heavy weights. If, if you're a runner, I let you walk, then I let you jog. My, my, my joggers and runners have taught me to wear my bra and a sports bra over top mm. early on, so there's not much bouncing. And, and all that stuff seems to do well. I always ask people about how old the kids are because you don't want to bend over and pick the kid up. So if you have a little baby, you're doing a lot of bending over and picking up, maybe waiting an extra couple of months might be appropriate, but if the baby's old enough to walk up in you and jump in your lap, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I just don't want you bending over trying to pick the patient up because I put it under the pectoralis and that's mm. going to be sore for a while. Now people can be sore for six weeks, but in terms of doing basic things, Driving, getting back to work, uh, a, a week is about all you need. The average patient doesn't even fill a whole prescription of pain pills. Half of my patients just take Advil or Tylenol. Mm-hmm. The ones who do take some narcotics, maybe take them for a day or two, then they're on narcotics. They're off narcotics and they're doing pretty well. Cool.
0: Wow, that's impressive. That it's like a few days and you're a few uh, days. Yeah. You
1: sore a little bit. Yeah, but in, but you're getting back to normal in a week and then exercise, working out, you know, by three weeks and you're fully recovered by six weeks.
0: Wow. Okay. Very cool.
1: So so what's the typical cost? Um, the the typical cost is somewhere around nine or ten thousand dollars. Okay. Now the implants aren't cheap. The implants are cheap to make, but all the litigation issues from the nineties mm-hmm. and the the companies the, the, the implants cost about a good $1,000 a piece. So a pair of implants cost almost $2,000. Wow. Now, but that's but that's important because if you have a rupture, the rest of the life of the implant, the company is going to give you a free implant. Oh,
0: well, that's
1: nice. And they'll give you a free implant for the other side. Wow. So they don't call it a life they don't call it a guarantee. They call it a lifetime replacement policy. Wow, okay. The other nice thing about that is if the breast gets hard or contracted, which we used to see a lot, but don't see as much today. For the first five or six years, the patient, the company will give you a free implant for that as well. Wow! Now they all these companies have um, policies, especially for younger women, that they will actually pay for the cost of replacement as well, or at least contribute to it. Wow! Like two thousand dollars.
0: Oh, how nice are they? Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> So that's why the implant's a little bit expensive, because yeah. you're getting more than just the implant. Yeah. You're getting that lifetime replacement policy, which is a big deal.
0: Yeah,
1: There, there are about three companies that are currently selling implants in our country. There may be more, but they have the lion's share. Um, I'm currently using Mentor implants. Allergan implants are also very common in Sientra. Mm. One of my partners uses Sientra for the most part. They're all, they're all good, there are very few differences, um it really it really boils down to the service i have i have a superb um salesperson you know who who really looks out for my patients looks out for me so right now i'm using the mentor implants but all the implants are safe and they're all quality implants
0: that's awesome so okay so when a patient comes back what's kind of their biggest what's what do you hear you know their life now with implants versus their natural chest
1: before <laughs> yeah. so so that that's a great question so it when you look at you always take preoperative pictures and post-operative pictures and and I will always ask my ladies when did the implants become you and in about eighty percent of people within a week the new breast is them mm-hmm. they identify with it it's them there is the occasional person it just takes a little bit longer to make it feel like that's them. But I, in this politically charged world, it, it's hard to say some of this stuff, but for some reason, the biggest difference in ladies is the confidence. Mm-hmm. They just feel better about themselves. That's probably a poor reflection of our society today, but it's the truth. I, I always tell the story years ago of a, of a um, 28, 29-year-old who comes to see me. She's a dental hygienist. And she says to me, this is two weeks later, she says to me, Dr. Grace, do these things do something to you? And I said, Well, what do you mean? So, well, my dentist asked me if I would show him, and I showed him. That's something I would never <laughs> have done before. <laughs> so I think of that story a lot. You know, I have a number of ladies that I've done breast augmentation to that within six months have divorced their husbands. They feel better about themselves. They're not putting up with people who aren't as good to them as they should be. And it just, it's a confidence level. Yeah. And I can't explain that. You know, That's part of our society, it is what it is. But that's not a good commentary mm-hmm. in our society. But women feel a lot more confident about how they look and how they feel. That's mm-hmm. the, That's the biggest difference.
0: That is interesting you said that because, so in 2004, I had a reduction, and any, like, I just, I'm happy to show anybody anything. Someone once, uh, just recently, was saying, oh, I'm thinking about getting a reduction. I was like, oh, here, well, here's what you're you're looking at. But you feel better about yourself. I do. I'm I'm very pleased, and I'm happy I got it, and it, you know, my back was in pain. I couldn't, it was... I don't know, you know, yeah. So I'm very happy with it, but I'm happy to show anybody. I don't know what that says about me. I'm not, you know, at Mardi Gras getting beads for it, but I'm happy to show anybody if you're curious. But You know,
1: there's a a woman's club out there that women look out for each other in those kind of regards. Yes. And that's a common thing. Breast cancer, breast augmentation, breast reduction, breast lift. That's a very common thing. Mm -hmm. And so many of my patients have said, I'm here because my sister-in-law had this done, I like the way they look, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Also, and my friends and I, you know, just, um,
0: I don't know, it is crazy. You know, There, there's just kind of certain things people think about plastic surgery and, you know, but once I started getting Botox and stuff, I hate to say it, I feel a lot better. You mm-hmm. know, I feel, I don't know if it's because I can't frown as easily, but mm-hmm. I feel happier. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it just, it makes you feel good. I, I had one of my ladies a month ago, and... I have a scribe in the office, and I had a University of Maryland family practice doctor in the office with me. And she had, had a rupture, and the implants had been in for 10 years. So I said to her, how's your husband? I always thought her husband was a good guy. Dr. Grace, I got rid of him. He was abusive, mm-hmm. and six months after this augmentation, I just got rid of him, I couldn't stand it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a typical breast augmentation story. Interesting. And, and I said to the to the woman with me, why does it take boobs for you to get rid of an abusive guy? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, happiness is an inside job and stuff, but there is something is about there's something about there's something about self care, and whether you want to go to a, like do a spa day or you want to get to these treatments, you know, like it makes you feel different. It, and better. If it's on your mind, you know, hey, what the heck? We got one life to live. Do what makes you happy. And I, if you want a bigger chest,
1: what the heck? I, I go for I, I, it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I'm i here Can, for can it. we talk about size? Oh, yes. for, for a minute. Please. Because yeah. you, you said a bigger chest. So, So the hardest thing for a plastic surgeon is for me to understand what you want and for you to understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So I always say managing your expectations is the hardest thing for me. And as a young plastic surgeon years ago, trying to figure out what size people wanted was difficult. Now, there's a lot of ways of doing it. One of my partners has all the little baggies full, and you know, with grains, and people put a brown one and they put hmm. these things in. That's never worked for me. So when you talk to people, and and I see the I see my patients at least three times, to I so they know that I'm listening to them, and I know I'm hearing them. So I see them at least three times. But I've developed this concept. Most of my ladies want to be as big as they can without looking augmented. Mm, yeah. Okay? That's a natural look. Now, in some ladies, that may be a small D. In some ladies, that may be an average C. And maybe in really, really little ladies that do a lot of running, that may be a B B+. Mm-hmm. But I always say to my ladies that want to go from an A to a B, don't go to a B because you'll be happy, but a year from now you'll be back to be a little bit bigger, mm. so I've developed that concept of as big as you as big as you can be without looking augmented. Okay. But I also tell the families, you know, the patient, the family, that this is for you, not for me. Yeah, you have to tell me how you want to look. You know, people will bring pictures, you know, from Playboy and stuff, in to show me. You know, they'll they'll bring me pictures mm-hmm. and people with bras on to show me, and that's and that's great. That helps me figure that out but that concept of as big as I can be without looking augmented seems to, to, to really hit home. So what I do is, I'm lucky that when I do my, my, my cases, I pretty much have the same people in the room all the time, you know, so in the pre-op holding area, the patient will say uh, verbalize again, and I get three or four different sizes, and we put the, sizes, the sizers in, and we sit the patient up, if the patient says, Dr. Grace, I don't mind being just a little bit bigger than that, then that's what we do. Mm. And and I gotta tell you, I've been very happy with that concept. That has worked well in my hands, but I think it's because I just spend a lot of time with the patient, so I know what they want, and I think they feel comfortable mm-hmm. Comfortable. telling me what they want. It's no use saying you just wanna have a scene, that's not what you really want. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, so if you're thinking about this and you're in the Maryland area, Get yourself a playboy and get to Dr. Grace. (laughs) 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 You
1: you talked about your your reduction. I just want to comment on that for a minute. Um, Over my career, I've seen a number of ladies that we had to put implants in after a reduction. So I I tell all my reduction patients, if I make a mistake, I want you too big because I can fix too big. Mm -hmm. If we make you too small, we can't fix that without putting an implant in. So there is the occasional breast reduction patient that years later needs an implant, but that's uncommon. A more likely, more likely thing is the lady that needs a breast lift and an implant. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, we could talk about that now, we could talk about that when we do reconstruction. Because the breast, a breast lift is called a mastopexy. But doing a breast lift and a breast implant at the same time is something I don't like to do, but that's that is something that's commonly done.
0: Why is it not good to do at the same time?
1: So every every conference plastic surgeons have on breast augmentation, there's a session on why I do a mastopexy augmentation in two stages and there's always a, a panel on why I do it in one stage. Mm. The most unhappy patients that I see from other plastic surgeons are the breast lift, breast augmentation patients at the same time. Wow. Because now all of a sudden you got scars on your boobs and you don't like the scars on your breast. Oh, yeah. And you can't get rid of them. Yeah. So in my hands, if you're a bariatric patient, and I just did one of these the other day, that has lost a lot of weight, I want to rearrange the breast and do a breast lift to get you a nice shape. And then if you want an implant, I'll put an implant in. Mm. If you're a normal lady, that's or a little bit tardic, don't wanna look like you're 18 again, I'm gonna put an implant in, wait six months, and if I need to, do a little lift. The trouble is, when you put an implant in, you're making the breast bigger. When you do a lift, you're making it a smaller. Mm-hmm. And then you're hoping both sides turn out the same mm. when they weren't the same when you started with, and that's why that's an operation that a lot of times people are unhappy with. I so you. I tend to do it a two-stage operation, not a one-stage operation. Wow, that's not the implant's fault. It's just how we heal yeah. two different sides, and there's so many factors you can't. Yeah,
0: control. that's so true. Yeah, you, and they gotta heal evenly. Oh my gosh, yes,
1: a it's, to a, take it's in. a lot. It's a lot going on when you do that at one setting. You mm-hmm. can't leave without talking about complications though. Oh,
0: okay, please, okay. yes.
1: So, so let's talk about complications. So w- when I see my ladies and that, that typical patient we talk about, I divide complications up and the first, the first third, infection, bleeding, and scarring. I tell people there's a 1% chance of getting infected. We give them antibiotics ahead of time. We do washes two nights ahead of time and we do all the things we can to minimize it, but it's still about a 1% chance. Bleeding's always real, so we, we stress no aspirin, Advil, or Motrin a week ahead of time. I have never in my career that I can remember had to revise a breast augmentation scar because we put it in the crease where you can't see it. I put mine just above the crease so if the bathing suit rides up, you don't see the scar. Mm. Then I tell people the middle third or the complications of general anesthesia. So even if you're a healthy 32-year-old, I need your your internist to clear you for surgery. Mm-hmm. And then I go through all the things related to implants. So implants can get hard. That's uncommon today, but it's still not not strange. And that's because the body walls the implant off. In that walling off process, you sometimes get what's called a capsule contraction. Moving the implant around post-op minimizes that. Mm. But in the old days when implants did leak a little bit, that was probably the cause. I tell people, re-operation rates are up to 25% at 10 years. Now that's something you talked about before, half of them were people that wanted to be bigger. Okay, in the old days when implants got hard a lot, a lot of them were related to that. In my hands, reoperation rates are not 25%. I think it's because I spend a lot of time really figuring out what the patient wants to be in size. The wrinkling is uncommon in my hands, but you do see some wrinkling. The complications, the two complications I stress, I'm, even though I'm putting it under the muscle, I'm going through a little bit of breast tissue, and I worry sometimes about nursing. Mm. I don't really worry about that, but I stress that. Yeah. The thing that I that I do tell people, nipple sensation can be less. Mm-hmm. Now, in the biggest series of uh, done, two-thirds of people had better sensation or the same. And that goes back to what you and I talked about before. If you feel better about your boobs, <laughs> nipple sensation is better. Because mm-hmm. somebody playing with them, it feels better. Mm-hmm. So, But I still make sure people hear me say you could lose sensation or it could be a little bit less. Yeah. There's two more things I wanna talk about the complications because I, I, I think these, these are important. There are huge epidemiological studies that show no increased risk in breast cancer in people with implants. Now, you can have an implant and get a cancer, but the data is pretty clear that people with implants do not have an increased risk of getting breast cancer. When we talked about implants before, one of the things we skipped over was the surface. The oh yeah, textured surfaces, which we used years ago to decrease the hardness implants sometimes got, looks like that may not have been a good idea. There's a group of people that have developed a strange lymphoma-associated cancer that may be a cancer that's very, very rare, that we only see in the textured implants. So a year or two ago, in our country, textured implants were taken off the market. So in my patients that that come see me, because I, I try to get my patients to come by every couple of years to see me, I have taken none of those out, because our society has not recommended they come out. But you look for a big swollen breast. If it becomes big and swollen, then the textured implant should come out. The last thing that I go through is, if everybody gets a mammogram, we're gonna miss about 20% of breast cancers. That's why to the plastic surgeon, and I think to anybody that does breast cancer, self-exam is still important. Because you can miss, you can feel a lump in your breast and the mammogram be negative. Mm-hmm. So I stress over and over my patients about self-exam. Hmm. Most of us think it's easier to examine your breast when you have an implant in Really? Yes, but the mammogram's harder to do, and instead of doing two views, mm-hmm. they do four, so they try to pull the breast tissue away from the implant to get a good view. Mm. So we all worry that it's harder to do the mammogram. We all worry a few cancers may be missed to later on. Mm-hmm. But by doing the extra views, being more vigilant with self-exams, mm-hmm. there's no good data to show implants people with implants have breast cancers picked up. Wow. at a later date. I've no- I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, I've n- I never knew that it was easier to like you know feel a lump if you had implants
1: because you've got something pushing yeah. everything up and it, it kind of makes sense.
0: All right, so if I ever get implants, it's totally for safety reasons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's good.
0: Yeah, that's good. Oh my goodness. Well, I think that we covered everything pretty much. Well, this is the first, we're gonna get into another, this is our just plastic surgery series because it's so fascinating. Um, It's a lot, this is really fascinating. We
1: could have talked another hour about implants. There's so many implant related things to talk about, but I think we hit the highlight. Can can I stress one more thing? Please. Um, And and I'm gonna say this every time we do a segment. Um, Just when people go to get a consultation, Make sure you go into a board certified plastic surgeon. You have GYN people putting implants in. You have dermatologists putting implants in. In Maryland we have oral surgeons putting implants in. Get out. Just go, make sure you ask the question. Make sure you do your research. It's so easy today to get online and check everybody out. But go to a board certified plastic surgeon to put your implants in. Look everything I said they're gonna know It's part of our training. We know what to look for. And and again, I'm going to stress that every time you and I do a segment because I do think that's really important.
0: I agree. Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, Well, Dr. Grace, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Just to all your listeners, remember, if they email you questions, we can always go back when we do these segments and answer some of the questions we get.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you learned something. Come back soon.